through journeys where it seems like there are a lot of different stories. And so uh, we could take the route of going through each individual one, and we'll be here for a year and a half finishing the book of Acts, or we sort of just compile them together. And so what I'm going to do is some, compile some together just so we can move through this book quicker, and then there'll be opportunity to come back and look at these passages more and more. Um, I'm really glad that we're in one service. I hope you know that. Um, I saw clapping. That was good. Um, uh, Aaron, we were just talking up here, and he's like, I went home Sunday. He goes, and I, I could do stuff. <laughs> he said, I was awake. Yeah. He was, he was more animated than that when he said it. Um, I feel the same. Plus, it's just a joy to be together, and so I'm glad we can be here together. Uh, what we're going to look at here is the end of Acts chapter 15, and uh, almost the whole chapter of 16 together. And when I read this over and over and looked at it, what really comes out in it is the idea of making decisions. Um, And we make decisions all day long, whether we know it or not as people. Uh, The average adult makes 35,000 decisions a day. 35,000 decisions a day. Conscious decisions. Uh, kids make 3,000. So what, what sticks out to me about that is I think that's why we're tired as adults because your mind is constantly making decisions about things. Uh, the, a study in 2007 uh, in Cornell University said that adults came out, the results were adults make 226 decisions purely about food every day. That's a lot of decisions every day. And this can be daunting as you think about all these decisions you make. Uh, It can also be crippling and paralyzing if you believe that you are the sum of your decisions. Our culture tells us that our value is somewhere between between, uh, the worst decision you've ever made and the best decision you've ever made. And you sort of average those out and you find the mean and, well, that's how valuable you are to a community. God has a different way to assess your value and is not based on your poor decision and is not based on uh, the wonderful decision that you've made. And as we look at these passages in Acts, we can play the Monday morning quarterback and look back at these, these decisions that were made and critique them and pull them apart. And uh, that's one value of having Scripture before us. A summary of the, the decisions we're going to touch on are Paul and Barnabas separating, the end of chapter 15. Paul circumcising Timothy, but not Titus. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, uh, they're kept from ministering. Basically, uh, there's a decision made that impacts them, that they have no, uh, no say in. We have Lydia's conversion. And then we have Paul making, making a decision out of annoyance. And so let me read Uh, this section, and I'll begin at uh, Acts 15, verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought it best not to take uh, with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him, 
and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul took Silas and departed, having been uh, uh, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia. I have trouble pronouncing some of these words, so I will just do my best. Um, uh, Strengthening the churches as they went through. Uh, Paul came also to Derbe and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, uh, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of uh, Phrygia and Galatia, uh, having been for- forbidden by the Holy Spirit to, p- to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come from Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to uh, Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he, we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, setting sail from Troas, uh, we made a direct voyage to Somathrace, and following the day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, and a Roman colony, we remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed that there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together, who had heard us as uh, one who had heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As they were going to the place of prayer, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much pain by for, much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. And when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. When they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans uh, to accept accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows on them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. 
having received the order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened, uh, fastened their feet in the stocks. Uh, so you can see in there, there's a lot of action going on. Um, so what we'll do is just look through these, beginning with Paul and Barnabas as they separate. Uh, Barnabas is not mentioned uh, later in the book of Acts. Uh, this is the end of his engagement here. Uh, there's a disagreement over uh, this man who's called John Mark, um, whether he should join them on their next missionary journey because of his past uh, action with them that he uh, quit very early. And so they, Paul and Barnabas, um, were having a sharp disagreement, which really means there was yelling and screaming in this disagreement. Paul and Barnabas have different views of John Mark. To Paul, John Mark is a negative asset. He already showed his weakness, and Paul was not willing to deal with it. Paul had a point. Um, what happens when they are being stoned, and John Mark cowers and decides to quit, to quit the mission that is before them? What do they do? To Barnabas, John Mark needed more training, and he needed Paul. Barnabas may have felt more of an attachment to John Mark because they're cousins. The family bond may have been tighter than an objective evaluation of John Mark's past performance. Paul may have been concerned that Barnabas's previous wobble in confronting the circumcised party, which we talked about uh, last week at the Jerusalem Council and is in uh, Galatians chapter 2, And John Mark's weakness would grow them away from the mission of proclaiming the gospel of grace in dangerous places. What's interesting here is because of their split, um, Paul does not go on his original plan. His original plan that he uh, proposed to Barnabas was, let's go and visit all of these churches that he started on his first visit. So let's just go and see how people are doing and care for them on our way to visit these young churches. But because of Barnabas and Paul's breakup, Paul goes to new cities. Paul goes all the way to uh, the edge of Europe, to Philippi, present-day Europe. And we see the first convert in Europe, Lydia. Barnabas continues with his mission and sails away to Cyprus with John Mark. Paul finds Timothy because of God's grace. Not necessarily Paul or Barnabas' good or bad choice. The message of the gospel went forth. God's work is not dependent on your perfect choice, your perfect decision. But in his sovereignty, he uses our foolishness for his glory. Remember living in uh, Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, Billy Graham lives in uh, Montreat, which is not far. And um, I heard the story. I don't know if this is true, uh, so I'm telling you this, and it was told to me by someone else. Um, Billy Graham, when he felt uh, the sense of call to ministry, um, his wife Ruth grew up a Presbyterian in the Southern Presbyterian Church, and uh, Dr. Bell, Ruth's father, was very prominent in the Presbyterian church, taught Sunday school classes, and um, somehow they uh, 
like wanted, they meaning maybe Ruth and Dr. Bell, wanted Billy Graham to enter the Presbyterian church. So he comes before Presbytery and a committee and says, hey, I feel like God is calling me to the ministry, which is a huge understatement if you know what Billy Graham has done. <laughs> it's a whole different category. And uh, so he goes before, and in good uh, Presbyterian fashion, they tell him, it's wonderful, you need to go to seminary, and you need to get ordained, and it's at least a four-year process. And so he feels called to the ministry still, decides that's not the path I'm going to take. And so he takes another path and does amazing things in his life. And you can look back at that as a Presbyterian maybe and say, that could have been the stupidest decision we ever made. But you look at that and you see the way that God used him in a way that is for the kingdom of God, not to build any kind of little Presbyterian kingdom. And just like in this separation where Paul and Barnabas, they all went on to do great work. Timothy received two letters from Paul, ministering in jail with Paul. Peter encourages um, uh, Mark and even says in 2 Timothy, um, Peter, or it says, Mark is very useful for me in ministry. John Mark is the author of the Gospel of Mark that we have. Uh, Paul commends John Mark to the Colossian church. Luke could have easily explained this in a more honoring way, this separation. But he says there was a sharp disagreement. There was anger. There was passion. There were words said. Paul and Barnabas separated and had more of an impact on these areas for the gospel. We could look at that now and say, uh, poor decision. But you see the other side of it because we have Scripture before us and we see that God used that decision, good or bad, for the growth of the gospel. But for some reason, Luke believes it's much better and God believes it's much better that we know that there was tension here. It is better that we read of this tension and conflict that led to this separation instead of reading that a little phrase that they just separated. The path of ministry is seldom uh, clean and neat. Uh, churches hurt and suffer. Churches grow and shrink not out of perfect plans, but because God uses our foolishness. That is why churches grow. God's Holy Spirit in a place. God drawing people. God convicting people of sin and convincing them of grace. That is why churches grow. You can have the greatest plans, and that is not why you'll grow as a church. Some decisions are made with prayer and information that might seem utterly foolish. Uh, but then there are some decisions which are much harder. And it's not just uh, prayer and information, uh, but it's study of Scripture. And that's the next decision that's made. Uh, it's Paul's decision of what to do with Timothy. This is maybe a harder decision. Why was Timothy circumcised? If they just argued before the Jerusalem council and they, they won the freedom of the gospel that you do not have to become a circumcised Jew to be a Christian. It is only on the great work of Jesus. And then to add more confusion to this, why was Titus 
not circumcised, and we have that in Galatians 2. Paul makes this decision by by the understanding of Scripture and the culture that he's seeking to engage with. Paul circumcises Timothy because Timothy was Jewish. Timothy's mother was Jewish. Paul's missionary strategy was to go into a town and to find the synagogue, to enter the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and to teach whenever they asked him to, and to engage with people. Any companion that Paul took needed to be welcomed into the synagogue and engaged freely, be able to engage freely with the Jewish community. Circumcision made Timothy acceptable along with his Jewish heritage. He was circumcised for a practical reason, not to be a full member of the Christian community. Which really raises the question, men, would you undergo circumcision for the advance of the gospel? (laughs) What will you do for the advance of the gospel? I'm a little squeamish. Titus, however, was not circumcised because he was a Gentile. Paul refused because the reason was, uh, behind circumcising Titus, the reason was to make him a full member of the Christian community. And Paul said, no, that will not make you a full member of the Christian community. Only Jesus does that. The culture and community were impacted by Paul's making of these decisions. They're hard decisions. You see all the people that would be angry in this, making these decisions. And then sometimes decisions are made for us. Paul and Silas and Timothy, they are kept from ministering. They are kept by the Holy Spirit from ministering and sharing the gospel, which we read that and think, That makes no sense in that time. Paul is prevented from preaching. Really didn't make sense. This was their mission. This is what they were doing. This is why they were sent out to proclaim the goodness and mercy of Jesus. Paul's faith here is in the God who guides. And Paul's faith in God's comfort keeps Paul from the flat spin of despair, of going into an area and knowing that God is looking to draw people, but knowing on two occasions that he was kept from sharing the gospel. It is not Paul's success that guides him, but knowing that God is utterly in control. So as frustrating as that was for Paul to enter these cities and to, for the Spirit of God to, and the Spirit of Jesus to keep back the message of Jesus and how frustrating that would be. Paul understands that God is in charge of all things. And then Paul has a vision. Verses 8 and 9. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. They now have a specific place to go toward and engage in their work. Paul did not have this vision when they set forth. 
It does not say that uh, when they first set out, Paul had a vision in a specific place. It Actually, Paul just changed his plans right before they left. I think the great lesson in that is we don't need to have real specific plans. There are things that, as Christians, that God has called us to that we don't need confirmation of, like sharing the gospel in our lives with people. They set out as a group to share the good, gracious work of Jesus. And through this vision, uh, their direction was changed. Their message was not. The mission of God is that all nations would be exposed to the gospel. And this is what Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, this is what they're doing. And this is the same mission that you and I have. And so it's not asking the question of uh, am, uh, having faith in Jesus, uh, do I share what this faith looks like? Do I share what comfort and peace is found only in the Messiah, Jesus? That's not the question. The question is really what areas do you impact? And what does this impact look like? How do you do this in your neighborhood? How do you do this in your workplace? As a church, we primarily uh, support other church plants. And we have a summer missions trip to Spain that we not, so we not only financially support and help this church in Spain, but we send people to this church in Spain and bring them back. We don't just send them. Because we want to have a relational connection with them. Lisa Smith and Becky McDonald are going this year. And so they are going uh, because we want to send them so they will make connections with people and we want to support them in their work. This trip is in June. As this gets closer, we'll let you know more and more how, you can, how we as a church can support them and as you as individuals can support them. So we get back to Paul's trip. Or Paul's trip. Uh, what happens is early on in this trip, it really seems to be doomed. It really seems that they feel called to an area and they go and they are shut down. Your, might, your life might feel like this, that your life is a series of bouncing off doors, of getting told no, of thinking, uh, what does God really have for me? Because everything seems no. God has the ability to restore the apparent end and disaster. This is what God does. Do you become defiant that God is not for you in these times? Or do you become uh, humble and acknowledge that God leads you in many ways? And hearing no to something is just as gracious as hearing yes. Planning your steps just like Paul and these men did on their missionary journeys is a responsible thing. We do need some kind of plan. But the Christian life is not a life of responsible decisions and responsible plans. Christian life is walking with Jesus. It may be through decisions that appear irresponsible, but are faithful. Leaving your full-time job because you feel a call to missions and it's been confirmed by people, and the people you know that don't 
have the same belief system that you do. Uh, their belief system is save enough for retirement so you can rest and really enjoy life. And they look at you and say, that is foolish. This could easily be seen as irresponsible, but it's faithful. This is actually when we see here in this passage, right after this vision that Paul has of this Macedonian man calling for them, uh, we have the plural in making the decision. It says, when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. But they're together. It did not just seem good to Paul after his vision, but it seemed good to to Timothy and Silas and now Luke the author of Acts. This is the first time actually Luke puts himself in the story. And then we have more decisions. We have Lydia's conversion. We have, again, this group making a decision to seek out the community and engage them in discussions about Jesus. Philippi did not have a synagogue. They didn't have enough uh, Jewish men to have a synagogue. So what happened was the women gathered outside the gate. And when they gathered, they prayed. And with these men going to interact with these women, it wasn't a discussion of do we share the gospel with them? How do we all feel about that? What should we do? Uh, The question was really, um, how do we do this? What does it look like in this context? You may struggle with whom do you share your life and faith with, but the struggle may be a deeper one of actually not wanting to share this. And so we many times wait and seek some sign from God instead of trusting that God has a hand in every person that surrounds you. And he is working in them. He's working in your neighborhood. He's working in your workplace. He's working in the area that you hobby in and the the clubs or groups that you're in. He is already doing things there. And so the question really becomes, how do you figure out what he's doing? How do you ask good questions to understand what people are wrestling through in their life. And then I think one of my favorites in here is the last one of Paul's decision out of pure annoyance with a a girl that is possessed by some kind of demon. A fortune-telling girl who had an evil spirit followed them and actually was announcing the truth of what they're doing. Uh, she wasn't lying about who these men were. He, they, she was saying, they're gonna, these men are going to tell you about the Most High God. That's what they're going to do. And there's a part of, I imagine those men went, okay, like this is sort of nice. We don't actually have to figure out how do you introduce this subject because it's already been talked about. Yes, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to tell you about the Most High God. And I'm going to tell you about the Messiah and how he loves you. But this girl announced this for many days. Paul, out of his annoyance, casts out the Spirit. He did it out of his own selfishness. He doesn't say that his heart was turned toward love, toward this girl, and he had compassion on her. It does not say that. It says, Paul, verse 18, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to her, I command you in the name of Jesus, come out of her. Because he's sick of it. What's so shocking to me in this is that God heals that woman. 
God heals that girl. He, that spirit is removed from her, and she is made whole. It was God's work that did that. Who did it come through? Paul, having a short temper, no patience, and being annoyed. This is not an example of making a good decision. This is Paul uh, reacting in a way because he's annoyed. So as we end, how do we make good decisions? Uh, we can't look at this of Paul and say, you know what, I was annoyed, so I punched that person, and I feel better, and I think they do. <laughs> yeah, it's biblical. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We have, always have to have some argument. That... So here, how do you make a good decision? Being that you make 35,000 decisions a day, 226 about food. How do, you make good de- how do we make good decisions? First, Trust that God is with you, and he will guide you. Trust that God is faithful to his children. Use the wise counsel that is around you. Pray. And when you make a decision, trust that God led you to that decision by following these things. And your life is more than just a chain of decisions. Your life is a story that God has been actively involved in, drawing you, comforting you, confronting you, saying no to your great plans so you can know the one himself, Jesus. The Christian life is not just a life of how do you make good decisions. The God of the Bible is the God who is known, and he offers communion with him. This passage, as we have looked at, Um, is a passage of decision after decision. But underlying all of these is the God who is with his people. He is with his people. Which means in the midst of a foolish decision, God is with his people. You are valued as a person, not because you make good decisions, You are not devalued because you make bad decisions. You are valued because you are made in the image of God. And you are known by this God by receiving his invitation. And it's not based on your goodness or productivity or that the worst decision you've ever made really wasn't that bad and the best decision you've ever made was so great everyone is jealous. We're valued because we have a God who not only made us, but we have a God who sacrificed himself for us. And that's Jesus. Then we have communion with God. Let me pray as we come to this table of communion to remind ourselves that God moves toward us, sacrifices for us, communes with us, and is faithful and walks with us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are faithful and that even in our lives when we have made foolish decisions, sinful decisions, uh, you are with us. And we thank you that you uh, walk with us. 
We thank you that we have this table before us this morning that is not just something we look at or read about, but we have this table that we get to receive the elements and remind us and nourish us of your, of your faithfulness. We pray as we come to this table this morning that we would know in a deeper way that you are with us and you continually mold us and shape us and you're continually working in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.